Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I've been amazed at times when uh, this year, me, my wife, and my daughter Harmony were seeking God about something pertaining to Harmony. We said, all right, let's all pray for a week, come back together. And God spoke to me through one verse, spoke to Harmony through somewhere else in the Word. He said the same thing to all three of us. And so we all came with our little notebooks and this is what I got, this is what I got. Put it like cards. Put it down. And we all put it down and we're like, all right, you know, it's, it's confirmed. That's what we're going to do. No question, no doubting now. We move forward in that in confidence. How do you handle conflict in your home? When a decision needs to be made, is there a disagreement in the family? What do you do? In today's message, Pastor Bill teaches us to submit the decision to the Lord through individual prayer. This is a great way to resolve conflicts in our families. A beautiful unity arises when God tells each family member the same thing. When we move forward in unity, God is honored and pleased. Let's strive for unity in our home by submitting our wants and desires to Him in prayer. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We're gathering for worship. It might be a way you dress for your hubby at home, and we at church for worship, so know the difference. And so, again, it doesn't mean that a woman can't be fashionable, she can't be cute, that she can't color coordinate her stuff, and every woman is different, so if you were, you know, blessed in some particular area, then you'd be, be mindful how you present yourself. For most of you guys that are married, your husband can help you out. Um, let him check you over and tell you, mm, no, no, mm, no, that is catching my eye. So no, uh, he'll let you know, you know, run it over by your husband. If you single, um, you know, ask a daddy, a grandpa or, or a sister in the Lord that's really walking with the Lord. So, um, but just be mindful ladies that, you know, the way you present yourself is not a stumbling block to other people, um, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Interesting that this must have been an issue back then, um, as this, you know, it can be today. And so then he says a few things that are more for their culture. He says with propriety uh, and moderation. And he says not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly things. Those few items there would have in that culture. Those would have been things that were like, wow, really, really, really fancy. Today, braided hair is not fancy. Uh, somebody braids your hair when I say, oh my, whoa, what, what, where do you do? You know, it's just it's braided hair, you know? So, you know, we could see to stumble over these things. There are, that part of it would be in their culture. That would have been a, a real, uh, you know, there are things in our culture that are really like, whoa, way out. Braided hair is not one of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is what I thought of. You know, I, I know I've been in church circles before where there might be hats that are like, I mean, the most obnoxious almost, where it's like, you know, look at my hat. You can't miss it. You, you can't see the preacher for the hat. You know, it, it's, uh, I would say that would, under this criteria, that would be immodest. That The goal of that is for people to be like, wow, who made that hat? You know, what, what team made that hat? No one person could have made it, you know. So women that we be modest in our apparel, um, not show, not being show off, show off your uh, drawing undue attention. And then in verse 10, but what is proper for women professing godliness with good works. And that being another part. So dressing in a way that's proper for a woman that's professing to be godly and, and, and it's displaying good works. That that would be the thing that um, characterizes the women in a fellowship. Good works. 
um, however it is that God uses your life, however it is that you're serving, that that would be what you're known for, that you're not known for how you dress or what you look, but you're known for for your good works. You're known for how you're serving. You're known for the part that you play in the body, um, that that would be the thing that would identify you. Um, people say, oh, who is that girl right there? And they wouldn't say, oh, it's the one with the big old hat, you know, and the, the red belt, you know, whatever. They would look and say, oh, it's the one that serves right there. The one that ministers in that way, the one that's serving and helping in that way, that that would be the thing that would characterize a godly woman. So now moving on. Verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. So let's look at verse 11 first and put your daggers down. All right. So first of all, it says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now in the Corinthian church, they said something similar. And what was happening in the Corinthian church was the men sat on one side, the women sat on the other side. And if a question came up in the service, the woman would speak while the guy was still going and say, hey, husband, what do you think about, you know, it was disruptive. And they were saying, don't do that here. That's not the idea. If you look at the word silence in verse 11, it means without contention. It's actually the exact same word in the Greek. If you look up at verse two, where it says that we're to live a quiet and peaceable life and all godly. The word peaceable in verse two and the word silence in verse 11 are the exact same word in the Greek. And so the idea is that let a woman learn without contention. The idea is that she would be in a submissive place. So in all submission, which it says next, this is not a popular thought in our culture. Women would say, well, you know, there are women that feel like, no, we're, we're, everything's equal. It's just the same. And uh, Paul wrote that. It was chauvinistic. We'll look at the rest of what Paul says and we'll come back to it. Um, but he says, hey, that the, the women would be in a submitted role. Um, that's in the marriage, also in the church. Um, why does that have to be said? Why is he pointing that out here? Was that a struggle back here? It was. Is it a battle today? It is. It very much is. Um, it's, a, it's a struggle for a woman to submit. It's part of the fall. Back in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve fell into sin, everybody knows the story. Who took of the fruit? First, Eve. Why did she do it? She was deceived. Says that, right? Says that Eve being deceived, right? That Satan tricked her. And she took the fruit she ate. And then what did she do? She gave to her husband. So in that sense, she led him. She, she, was, a, she was a leader. She said first, She's the husband. She made a shake and she walked. <laughs> she did, whatever she did, he was like, okay. And he ate it too, you know, but it was a first role reversal right there in the fall that he should have been leading. She led and went into sin. As God gave out the punishment for Adam and Eve, right? Now, Adam was still held accountable, responsible. The Bible said that he sinned willingly. He wasn't deceived. He, he wasn't tricked. He just sinned on purpose. Just bullheaded, went and did it. But it says that Eve actually was she was tricked. She was she was misled by the enemy into what she did. And so one of the things it says, and you can look at this in Genesis chapter three, verse 16, as God tells the woman what her penalty will be, says that he's going to greatly multiply your pain and conception. And so, again, I always wonder, like, would a woman before the fall have had babies without pain? Like, what would that have looked like? Just it's been like 
you know, that'd have been awesome. Just pain-free birth. Boom. You know, kids coming, but there'll be pain in conception. But it says, and it says this in an interesting way it's worded. It says, and your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. It doesn't mean that you're going to want him. Your desire, when it says your desire shall be for your husband, it doesn't mean you're going to want him really bad, but he's going to rule over you. It means this, that you're going to want to, you're going to want to rule him, but he's going to rule over you. Your desire will be for him. It's going to be part of the fall. Part of your fallen nature is going to be that I want to run him. I want to rule him. And God says, but no, I, I put him over you. I'm making him the leader. That's part of it. So he'll come back down here now, back to back to first Timothy two. So I want the woman to learn in silence with all submission, verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. God said, I don't want the woman. I don't permit a woman to teach in an authoritative way. Women can teach. Uh, we know in Titus, women teach women. We're going to see a little later, women teach children. But God says, I don't permit a woman to be in an authoritative role teaching the men. Now, that's not the way I want it. I actually interacted over the week with a couple of women pastors because they're, they're, they're out there, tons of them. And I uh, wanted to get a, a woman. I mean, I've read, but I wanted to get a woman's pastor's view on these passages. So how do you get around that? Um, some of them get around it uh, by saying now that was that was uh, chauvinistic. Paul was chauvinistic. That was that was a cultural thing at that time. It's not really applied today. And I would just say this, because we're going to as we read on, we're going to find that God he kind of handles that. It's not a cultural thing. He's going to go all the way back to creation and their original intent. So if we do that with the Bible, you guys, and we say, well, that part right there, um, I don't think God means that for today. I, we could change everything. God said, love your wife. Oh, that's what he meant back then. But today is different. Today, today it's impossible to love your wife like that. So I'll do the best I can, Lord. But, you know, uh, you know, we don't get to do that with the word anywhere. So we definitely don't get to do it here. So um, God said, look, I, I don't permit a woman to be in an authoritative role over men teaching. Women can do everything else. They can pray. They can missionary. They can. Uh, they can teach the word, they can exhort, they can prophesy, they can, you name it. But God says this thing right here, you're not going to be an authoritative role uh, concerning doctrine and teaching in the church over men. I don't permit it to be so that they're going to always be in a covered role. So women are teaching women in a church where they're covered by a man. They're teaching the children, but they're under the covering of the pastors or the leadership or the elders of a particular church. But they're not in the authoritative role in the church. God says that's the way I that's, I, that's the way I want it to be. Um, so what then about what if someone is a woman pastor? What do we say about that? What's our take on that? What do we how do we feel about that? And this is my take on it. Right. It's pretty clear here in this chapter. When you get to chapter three and it talks about the role of a pastor, how he's to be the husband of one wife, which I don't know how a woman could be and be right with God. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's pretty clear that that's not God's will. So my take is this. Someone that could take something that clear from the word and decide that there's a way to work around it. I wouldn't be interested in hearing what else they got to say from the Bible. Right. I wouldn't be interested in the rest of your if you interpret that section of the Bible, you twist that you might twist everything. And so um, some would say, well, that's not fair. I, it's not I don't think it's right. And again, you would have to take that up with the Lord. Right. God, this is God's will. And I don't get to I don't get to change it. Right. I don't get to rearrange it. I don't get to make it fit American carnal culture. God said, that's my word. That's my will. That's what I want. And this is the thing, you guys. 
When it's done God's way in every situation, everything works best. When a marriage and a household is run the way God said it's to be run, it works best. Um, when a church is run the way God said it's to be run, it works best. It's been my experience that in churches that I've been aware of, I had a, a family member of mine that was a minister at a, a church, a woman pastor, that the men are very, it's not really a place where men are built up. Um, I rarely see those marriages be in a proper place. How can she submit to you and, but she's your pastor? Like it just would be, if my wife was the pastor and I'd be like, well, at church I submit to you, but at home you submit to me. It would be like, when is it, we go back and forth like that, it just, it wouldn't work. And so that's not God's will. So he's, I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And then he explains why. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So I made Adam first. It goes all the way back to creation and my original intent. I created man first. I gave man a job. I told him that I gave him a work to do. I had a calling upon his life. I said it was not good for him to be alone. I'll make a woman uh, comparable to him, a helper to come alongside him and help him. And they're to go to, together and serve. And a woman to come alongside and serve in a, in a helpmate type role with the man. But the man was made first, then Eve, he says. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So he says, it has to do with my original intent. I made man to be this. I made woman to be that. Then in addition to that, in the fall, she was deceived. And so I, I don't, I'm not permitting her to be in that role. And then it says in verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. A um, lot of controversy and debate over what that means. And I believe this is what it's saying. While I haven't permitted a woman to be an authority in the church and to be authority over men, there is a place where God has called women to function in an authoritative, in an overseeing, in a role where all the things that he just said they, they're not to do for men, where they are to do those things. And so the word saved here is not salvation, like I got saved or born again. It's uh, in the Greek, it's sozo. It's, uh, it's, it's coming into the, just a full orb of God's blessing, what God desires, what God wants to do. She'll be saved in childbearing. So consider this, right? God says in childbearing, uh, which is a, a beautiful thing that he allows a woman to be able to do. A woman brings a child into the world. It's just the way that it goes that women are typically going to have a lot more influence, a lot more involvement, a lot more opportunity with a child. Um, and, and rearing and raising a child. And God says, hey, in that role of raising children, um, there's authority there. There's teaching there. There's training them up in the way they should go. That's where I would want a woman to invest her life um, in raising up godly offspring, raising up kids, not, not, not building a church and raising up men. I want you to raise up your kids. And so I've always thought it was interesting that in our culture, um, as women are being pulled away from that, pulled away from really the focus on their own kids to do other things, uh, we see that that's the thing that's lacking, the very thing God has called them to be. Now, I know that in every household and different situations that we have, um, everybody's not in a place, every woman's not in a place where she could do that. Um, a lot of people, it's not an option. They have to work. That's just something they, they have to do. I would say that if that be the case, that as a wife, a woman, a mother, um, you want to make sure that you always keep in mind that this is my my number one obligation. I have the opportunity to raise up some offspring for the Lord. I have the opportunity to raise up some kids um, to know the Lord, that you're investing in them and pouring into them, that you're teaching them and training them up in the way that they should go, that you're utilizing your role as mom to do that. 
because he says here, while I haven't called you to do it over here, I have called you to do it there. And so some people can be so, you know, intent on doing it over here. And God's like, but you're not doing it where I called you to do it. I want you to do it right there. As we wrap up this chapter, a few exhortations, a few things that that I'm, I'm pulling out from it. First of all, just as a church, as a whole, I believe that God is saying what I want people to do. I want people to pray. I want you to pray. I want them to pray for specific needs. I want you to pray and speak to me in general. I want you to intercede for other people. I want you to give thanks. I want you guys to come together and to pray. And so Paul was exhorting the men um, that they would take on their role. God has called men to lead. Sometimes, guys, the reason why it doesn't make it right, but the reason why women are stepping up is because men won't. And so there are a lot of times where women feel like, well, if I just let it, if I don't do nothing, he won't, you know, so I'm going to step up and do it instead. Now, that's wrong, women. Um, I, the better thing to do would be let him fail, right? Um, that doesn't sound right, but it's the be- it, it'd be better for you to just let him fail. Let him fall on his face. Let him be broken. Let him see that it don't work. Um, and just submit to his failed plans until he repents of them and does it right. Because um, you might be getting in the way. But for men, don't make it hard for women to follow your lead. God said, I want you to be the spiritual lead. And again, it's not a macho thing. It's not something that we, you know, I'm, I'm taking the lead here, woman. Um, I, I don't suggest any man ever do that in his home. Um, I suggest that we lead by example. Just be a man of God and be it consistently and, and lead your family in love. Lead them in prayer. Lead them in the word. Lead them in that way. Let the Lord work in that. Um, so in the church and in the home, God has called the men to lead. So I do exhort the men that we would all Uh, Take a look at where we are. Where are you at in the church? Where are you at in your home? Where does God want you to be? If there's adjustments that need to be made, things that you need to do different, um, that you might rise up and be everything God's called you and created you to be, that that would be your goal. That God would just make you and me, all of us men, more like him. That we'd be men of God. That we'd be more like Jesus. Loving leaders in him. Uh, For the women... Um, As God has called you guys and spoken to the women about their their adornment, their dress, their apparel, how they present themselves. Um, Everybody would just, you know, take a look at your wardrobe and how you present yourself. I would say this. um, I don't think it's not just at church. I think just everywhere. Um, Just be aware of how you present yourself to the world um, as you go out and about um, and make sure that it's it's it would be appropriate for a woman professing godliness that I'm a woman of God. Love Jesus, that there wouldn't be anything in your attire that says I'm, I'm not a woman of God. And again, there's no woman of God outfit. Um, you got to you know, you don't have to have the Shiite suit from, you know, from from neck to toes or anything like that. It could be fashionable and nice and all of that. But, you know, be 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 aware of how you're presenting yourself in this world. Um, you're a woman of God. God's called you to be a woman of his And you want to present yourself as such. And then with regard to the roles, uh, while we do live in a culture where women are being encouraged to step into places they don't belong and to not observe God's will. And there be some women that would listen to this and say, that's sovereignistic. I reject that. I don't receive it. My encouragement to you is that, you know, as you see it in your Bible, that you receive it. This is God's will. Um, God has a plan. And within everything God's created, there's order. And for there to be order, there's roles. And God's out. I put a man here, put a woman here. Again, in the household, it goes like this. Christ is the head of the Christian home. The husband is under Christ. The wife is under the husband. And the kids are under the mom and the dad. 
And if you break that chain anywhere along the way, you won't have a family that is functioning the way God wants. If the kids won't submit to the parents, it'll be broken. If the wife won't submit to the husband, it's broken. If the husband won't submit to the Lord, it's broken. But if you can line all that up, you can have a family the way God intends it. He being the head, the husband under Christ, the wife under the husband, the children under that submitted to God. Everybody do their part. Husbands do their part. Wives do your part because we can't do each other's parts. And so um, just recognizing that everything God created, the home, the church and everything else, um, there is order. Uh, his order is not to hurt, to harm. Um, it's for the covering and the benefit of everybody. And so God says, women, I want you to submit to, the, to your husband. I want you to submit in the church to the leaders and the men that I raise up. That's for your benefit. Uh, it's not to hurt. It's not to put down. Um, God never said that a woman couldn't do it. He says she shouldn't do it. That's not what he's doesn't permit her to do such a thing. So you might see a woman and say, well, she does it pretty good. God didn't say she couldn't. Right. I've seen some leaders um, be powerful in their leadership, but it wasn't powerful in God. Uh, Hitler was one of the most powerful leaders in the world. But we know he was not a leader from God, but he was an effective leader. And so not to not say a woman passes a Hitler, but, you know, she's definitely out of her role and outside of the lane of the will of God. So um, so we want to walk in our roles. We want to be effective at that which God has called us to be. Again, my exhortation to us as a church, as a body, I really feel strongly right now that the thing that we need to do as a group um, is that we would be in prayer. Something that and I'm, I'm just going to close with this, something that I've, I've exercised this in my household often is there are times in a household with my wife or with my kids, we're out of sync. We're disagreeing about something. And so the rule is normally this, so that we're not arguing or fighting. If it's not a pressing thing that needs to be decided right now, we'll do this. We'll say, all right, everybody take the week or take three days or whatever. Everybody take a set amount of time and let's just pray about it. And God's not the author of confusion, so he's not going to tell me one thing and tell you something else and tell them something else. God will put us all on the same page if we're listening. So let's all pray separately. Let's listen to the Lord separately. Let's record what God shows us separately. Let's come back to the table. And if we all heard from him, we'll all be on one accord. If we come back to the table, we're not on one accord. Either someone's not praying or they're not listening. And so um, it'll be easier to distinguish who that is. And so, um, but many times God uses that to put us back on the same page. And I've had it where we do that and we come to the table and then God, I pray and God's like, you're off. So I'm, I'm been brought into alignment. I've done that before and I come back to the table and one of my loved ones, one of my, one of my people that I love, they hadn't prayed. It was obvious. They came back to the table like, where you get that from? Well, I just feel, I didn't ask you what you felt, I told you to pray. So the way you feel, the, the, your feelings are thrown out. So, you know, since you won't pray, um, your input is is irrelevant. My input outside of prayer is irrelevant, too. Um, but I found that many times it just puts us back in one accord. We're being unity. Um, we'll all we'll all believe the same things and be able to walk the same way. And I've been amazed at times when uh, this year, me, my wife and my daughter, Harmony, were seeking God about something pertaining to Harmony. We said, all right, let's all pray for a week, come back together. And God spoke to me through one verse, spoke to Harmony through somewhere else in the word. He said the same thing to all three of us. And so we all came with our little notebooks and this is what I got. This is what I got. Put it it's like cards. Put it down. And we all put it down and we're like, all right, you know, it's, it's confirmed. That's what we're going to do. No question, no doubting. Now we move forward in that in confidence. So I believe this as a church, as we come together and pray that God will unite us in a greater way. And I know that God will work 
powerfully and mightily through us as we're united, as we're one, as we're functioning as one. So um, prayer will accomplish the will of God. Prayer will bring us into one accord. Um, prayer will also position us to hear more clearly. Thank you for joining us today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're so glad you took the time to be here. Pastor Bill is diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to the young pastor with words of wisdom on how to lead. Paul taught Timothy to serve in humility by sharing his own story of salvation. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is no quicker antidote to pride than to look at who you were when Jesus found you. As you guide people to Jesus, remember where you were and be open with your story. The world doesn't need a perfect leader. It needs humble people to lead them to the Savior. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Did you want to hear more from Pastor Bill or listen to today's message again? You can find today's message and many others on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to do some deeper study for yourself, we have a daily Bible reading plan you can join in on with us. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back right here next time for more in the book of 1 Timothy on A Transforming Word. <music>